Hello and welcome to the Ethical Reading Podcast, where like-minded and hearted people come together to make Reading a better place to live, work and do business. I'm Linda Duff, your host and a volunteer with Ethical Reading. I look forward to our ethical journey together because together we make all the difference. It's my great pleasure this morning to be speaking with James Parkin, Associate Director of Eximius Technology and Asenian. He's an award-winning technology recruiter at the senior leadership level, and he also volunteers giving pro bono mentoring. James will share more about himself as we go along. So a big welcome, James. Thank you, Linda. Good to be speaking to you today. And let's dive straight in. Tell us about the values of Eximius. A uh, bit, bit of context then. Eximius Group, we're a global uh, specialist recruitment group uh, focusing on a number of professional services areas. We have offices in the, in the UK, Paris, Luxembourg, Hong Kong, Vancouver, uh, and are expanding constantly. We have been through a management buyout in 2016. And so sort of internally, we call ourselves Eximius 2.0. Uh, and as part of that, uh, we reviewed and refreshed the values of the business in line with a business that is owned and run by uh, the team, by its employees. So our values are ownership, education and growth. Uh, ownership, obviously, it's right there uh, in the story, in the MBO, but also ownership of how you conduct your business. We encourage uh, our consultants and our team members to think about what best services there. Uh, customers. That includes the, the hirers as well as the applicants. Education about furthering themselves professionally and also outside of work. We absolutely encourage people in their outside of work activities to make them better, rounded, happier individuals. And growth, you know, growth as a business, uh, growth uh, in terms of scale, in terms of uh, revenue, profitability, but also I think emotional growth as well as a business. We're trying to work at the front edge of what our industry does and look forwards uh, rather than back towards the old stereotypes of recruitment that people will probably be familiar with, which aren't always that positive. And I think those uh, values align quite nicely with those of, of Ethical Reading, uh, the charity uh, that we partnered with when creating the, the Ethical Recruitment Charter for Reading. Fantastic. And uh, would you like to tell us more about you and your role in Eximius? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Portsmouth, but I, I relocated to Reading to, to come to university and uh, I liked it so much I stayed. I thought I was going to have a career in graphic design, but rapidly realised there's people far better at that than me. And, and what I'm good at, actually, is understanding people's needs and, and what they want and and I'm good at creating solutions for that. So I, I ended up in the recruitment industry and I, I've been in that industry for almost 16 years now. Uh, I've always been focused on mainly technology and uh, I've, I've risen through various roles in the industry to my current position as Associate Director of Eximius Group and Asenian. And in a nutshell, I run the, the Reading uh, regional business for Eximius Group, which includes Eximius Technology and Asenian, which is a life sciences uh, focused recruitment brand. I'm still very much uh, hands on, as the, the expression goes, you know, on the tools, working with candidates and hirers uh, within my particular vertical market, helping people to find new opportunities and, and helping businesses get in contact with the staff that they need. And, and that is, of course, 
dramatically changed as we've been through 2020 and this COVID-19 reality, which we all find ourselves in now. But the core uh, values and principles of good recruitment uh, still remain the same. And I'd really like to come back to that, what's happening in recruitment since COVID-19. But just for now, just staying with the values-based business, what what do you see as the benefits of being a values-based business? A lot of things that are seen as challenges in, in business that relate to recruitment, employment of staff, and how you operate as a business really boil down to communication. And for me, being a values-based business ensures honest, transparent communication internally and externally. It's often referred to as you know, the vision, the mission, the message, um, it, why you're doing what you're doing above and beyond just straightforward profit and numbers. And I think that resonates with, especially if you're working in a, a B2C, you know, consumer-led model, I think that really resonates. People are looking for brand connection nowadays. Uh, brand loyalty has changed dramatically um, from what it was even just a few years ago, uh, as we interact with our chosen brands very differently. If we take a COVID-19 related example, the increase in online shopping means that our interaction with the brands that we choose has totally changed because we're not going in there and physically meeting members of staff that are wearing the the metaphorical polo shirt or the badge. Yet we're choosing a, a website, we're choosing an app. So why do we do that? And I think it's the values Uh, of a business and how they portray those in the reality of how they conduct themselves that we actually as consumers buy into. And that's the same in the recruitment process as well. And the benefits of that, therefore, are very tangible and and they are new customer acquisition, their customer retention, they are advocacy. So those customers, you know, the old adage that if you have a good experience at a restaurant, you'll tell one person. If you have a bad experience at a restaurant, you'll tell 10 people. Well, <laughs> that, that that works in every industry. And be, being a values-based business and adhering to those values and, and having them in the forefront of mind when you conduct your business, you, you provide your solution, your service, your product, um, ensures that you get those people talking to people about a good experience three, four, five times. Uh, You still can't do anything if you get something wrong. Someone will still spread the word. And it's not about being perfect. You know, we are all only human. But I think it's absolutely core to that, that winning customers, retaining customers and, and being true in the marketplace. You're in a unique position. You'll see businesses of all kinds and, you know, lining them up with the perfect people for their teams. Mm. Can you share some success stories and maybe some common challenges that you've found businesses experience and maybe how to avoid them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the, as we go back towards the start of the the lockdown period, one of the best examples I think of a good values driven business is, is Airbnb. Uh, So their CEO, Brian Chesky released a message when they uh, undertook a redundancy program, which affected 25% of their global workforce. That message was very honest, very transparent. It gave specifics in regards to business performance. It let people know where they stood. 
but also they were giving people access to the uh, company paid private health care for 12 months, which, of course, in the US is, is particularly relevant. They were letting people keep their laptops because they knew that those were the tools they needed to go and find another job. They created their own job board so that the profiles of people who were being made redundant from Airbnb were available free in one location for any employer. Those things are the actions of a values-based business. And even though they had to make 25% of their global workforce redundant for very practical reasons, the reputation was protected and, and the PR was exceptional. And you know that in places like Singapore, San Francisco, Dublin, London, where they have offices which are extremely competitive talent marketplaces, when they come back to hire people are going to come back to them because they saw the way that they conducted themselves. Um, you know, there's a, as I say, I'm a Portsmouth boy, and there's a phrase in my part of the world, which is that uh, calm seas don't make great sailors. And I think, you know, <laughs> these are stormy waters and Airbnb have shown themselves to be very adept captains. But again, it boiled down to the not just the actions, but the communication and the sincerity of those actions. So that I think was a fantastic example on a global scale. Closer to home, there's clients of mine that I won't name <laughs> for favoritism reasons, um, but they are uh, solutions providers in the technology space, uh, mainly focused on cloud communication, which has been the fuel that has run everybody's move to working from home. So it's been a very dynamic marketplace, a lot of recruitment over all of 2020. And there's one company in particular that have, they've had it as a core tenant of their recruitment, that you will get open, transparent information on the business performance from the CEO at the very earliest stages of interview. So it is unusual that going into any interview process, your first conversation is with a CEO. With those guys, it is every single time. And it's not just core competency style questions. It is an honest person-to-person -person discussion. And he lays out the rest of the process, what you're going to see coming, what the timescales are going to be, what the challenges might be to hitting those timescales. So people going into those recruitment processes feel that they understand the core elements of those businesses straight away because they've spoken to the person that, is, that has created those values. And those values are honest, transparent, not uh, excessive hierarchy where you can't get to the person at the top to talk to them. No, no, they're coming straight out. They're speaking to you. Now, that's not practical for every company. This is a company of probably 150 employees, by the way. So it's, it's a reasonable size. But it is still, I think, a great statement of intent from senior leadership. And that honesty and that relationship building ensures great staff retention for them um, in an industry. So technology, average tenure at the moment, three and a half to four years. So if you're hiring someone into a technology role and they're there four years later, you've done pretty well. This company are beating that across the board. And the strong retention is because they're getting the right fit first time because they're connecting with the human avatar of those company values, which is the CEO. And, you know, that man lives and breathes them because he, he created them and, and they've been phenomenally successful. So I think that's a, that's a much more closer to home example for me where OK, you don't have to be a big global Airbnb and do all these wonderful, expensive things just by starting your recruitment process in the right way, having the right mindset of how you want it to be experienced. You can actually have a knock on effect to the retention 
uh, of your staff, which of course saves you money because you're not paying it to people like me. <laughs> so it might sound a bit self-defeating, uh, but it, it is part of my job to think about the retention strategy of these companies as well. Great stories. Thank you so much. That's very inspiring. And I'm sure you see a lot of common challenges as well, and maybe traps and pitfalls that businesses may fall into. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So when thinking about this, I go back to the most commonly heard complaints that I get from candidates, Um, either uh, applicants going through recruitment processes or the reasons that, that people might be leaving companies perhaps first first 18 months, something like that. One of the biggest things that we hear uh, going through a recruitment process, and, and if, you, if the people listening to this are on LinkedIn, they will see it, is everyone getting criticised for uh, ghosting is the common term now, just lack of communication. I applied to a job, I haven't heard anything back for X number of weeks. You know, that's unacceptable. And they're absolutely right, it is. It's very difficult as a recruiter Our our role in ethical recruitment is to try and get as much communication and feedback between applicants and hirers as possible, but it's not always possible. And what we've seen recently uh, is applications on some roles into the many, many hundreds, four, five, six, seven hundred. I spoke to someone in the last week who said they'd had over a thousand applications for a job. That sort of volume breaks the system. Whatever the uh, advertising platform, whatever the, the job board that you're, you're applying on, it can't cope with that. Whatever the back end system that the hirer is using, it can't cope with that volume. You might get an automated email out that doesn't really give you anything in terms of feedback but you're very, very unlikely to get one-on-one feedback. So how do we cope with that? One of the answers actually is is what I do for a living because obviously we're not going to present that sort of volume of people. The other answer is to think about what roles you need and when you need them. I constantly find myself reminding people that recruitment is not a state of mind. It is a series of actions. We do speak to companies who say, yes, we're recruiting. Okay. Uh, talk to us about the journey so far. We've been looking for several months. Uh, we've not interviewed every, anybody yet, but well, hang on a minute. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I don't go to the gym and I'm not an exerciser. If I bought a pair of trainers and said I was going jogging, that's not true. Uh, and it's the same thing in terms of companies who say we are recruiting, but they don't take the required actions. So really, it's the responsibility of a hirer of a business to think about it and say, okay, we might need this person. But have we allocated the time to reviewing CVs? Have we allocated the time to interviewing people and indeed all the internal meetings that might need to take place? Because if we haven't done that first and we just pop an advert up there and we get 400 responses that we cannot cope with, we're going to disappoint the applicant pool. And of course, now people are being very, very public about it. So it sometimes comes across as a lack of urgency from hirers. I actually just think it's they're going out there not knowing quite what they're going to get and having not planned properly. Um, And then when people, I suppose, are going from application stage in through to employment, one of the things we very commonly hear is is a mistake and it's an ethical recruitment issue is being people being missold positions. Now, those come in a couple of different flavours. There's uh, companies that hire people for a role that they want them to do, But when they first land in a business, they need them to do something else first. That's fine as long as that first task is time boxed, uh, because you do speak to people who say, I was coming in to do role A, I was started in role B, 
but I've now been stuck in role B for 12 months and role A seems no closer and people feel misled. The other one and the other sort of flavour of being missold a role is just where the job spec does not reflect the position accurately. And that can be solved by companies by very simply thinking about how they write their job specs. Is it a fair reflection? Are they just reusing it from something they hired several months ago? Or if they're working with a recruiter like myself, yes, the job spec is, is one tool, but actually having a personal discussion about what's important is far, far more important because we're operating as, as a shop window to your applicants. And so we need to not just understand what the, the duties and responsibilities of the job are, but what the opportunity is, what the plan is, uh, you know, what the culture of that team is as well. All of that helps us avoid people being missold roles, which then again ties into a better retention strategy down the road. And it avoids that negative PR. Any hirer will know something like Glassdoor. Anybody can go on Glassdoor and create a positive or negative review, even of a company they've not worked for. That's the problem of Glassdoor. But if you're trying for a positive Google rating, a positive Glassdoor rating, all these things are important. And, and if you don't want uh, you know, the other negative uh, social media press that can come through not getting these things right. But they're certainly very common issues that we see a lot of companies uh, have. And it's, it's not because they are deliberately trying to be mistrustful it's usually because they just haven't they aren't aware of the issues going into them or they haven't thought it through and you might have access to some kind of numbers or i mean i've i've come across them myself and i don't know them off the top of my head but it's actually extremely costly to keep losing staff mm. to businesses mm. isn't it it's one of the biggest costs to a lot of businesses so at times Absolutely. when business bottom line is so important this is important yeah yeah well i think there's a misconception at the moment that because we're in an economic depression that uh, contractor rates daily rates hourly rates or, or salaries are, are going to go down and, and that's just simply not true because um people's skills are not less valuable now than they were 12 months ago uh, and and companies yes they might be making less profit that doesn't translate to people's lives becoming any cheaper to run. And when you're hiring, most people, uh, if you leave a role and move to a new role, you're probably looking for around a 10% increase on your package value. And then, of course, you might be paying recruitment fees as well, uh, which could be you know anything from 10 to 20% or 25% even of somebody's uh, package value as well in the first 12 months. So, you know, if you you can, you know, anyone listening to this who's got employees and thinks, well, okay, if I lose that person on that base salary, you can very quickly work out that in a twelve-month period, it could cost you, you know, about a quarter of their salary just to replace that person. Which is why, when people do look to leave companies, uh, counter offers are, are very, very prevalent. Uh, most people are being offered more money to stay, but you'll notice none of the things that I've touched on are salary based. They're not the issues at the core of ethical recruitment. It is, yes, we appreciate that uh, in some of the hourly rate paid roles, you know, in the retail and hospitality sectors, people, they do look and, and try and pinch 50p an hour here, or they try and get people in on very low rates for trial shifts. Those are money related ethical issues. But in general, 
the issues that, that people face in, in recruitment are more around transparency and communication uh, rather than just monetary. And here again, you're in a unique position to comment on this. What do you see happening in recruitment as a result of COVID-19? <laughs> as, as an industry or as a, uh, as, a, as a marketplace? Get your crystal ball out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, just if there are any particular trends, like, for instance, you, me- you mentioned, and, and this is something that we're coming on to shortly, how people are being asked to serve trial shifts with mm. no pay, that mm. sort of thing. And anything wider that you've noticed? Prior to COVID-19, uh, so prior to March and indeed this year, the gig economy uh, was something that was being talked about. It, it kind of um, it had a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde uh, launch. Uh, it was very, very useful for a lot of people. But then zero hour contracts, quite rightly in some cases, got a lot of negative press as well. Because so many people are now working from home and in a recent survey, I, I took part in a webinar and, and, and um, one of the other participants had conducted a survey. 70% of chief financial officers at businesses surveyed plan to keep up to 20% of their staff working remotely, the direct result being that they can reduce serviced and unserviced office costs. When you think about on a permanent basis, 20% of the workforce could be working from home where they weren't 12 months ago. It has huge repercussions for the gig economy because people now could work two jobs at once, but not full time. The sort of freelance model that people in some of the creative industries do, uh, web designers, copywriters, those sorts of roles are very used to doing that. That could now come a lot more into the thought based jobs, you know, the the knowledge based jobs uh, that exist in, in so many sectors. So I think that's one of the big things. The gig economy is, is going to come back and it's now going to be combined with this, this monster that is working from home. What that does is it opens up a huge talent pool. Mums returning to work, semi-retired people, people that want to live in locations that are not easily commutable to a large city or town. All of those people are now talent that can be accessed by businesses that couldn't before, as long as they're willing to do so with the right technology in place. And that technology is now very readily available because of the COVID-19. So it's very, you don't want to use the word positive in the same sentence as virus, but there are some positives for the recruitment uh, sector, not as an industry, that would sound very self-serving, but in terms of people looking to get work, because I think the flexibility has just exponentially grown. We are obviously going to face uh, big redundancies in certain sectors. So the challenges and the changes that we've already touched on, huge numbers of applications, systems that aren't designed to cope with that, that is going to be uh, one of the issues going forward. And it's part of our industry's job to find ways to best support companies uh, in, in quickly sorting out those people and getting them back into employment as much as possible. So we're in a period of huge change and uncertainty, uh, which which is obvious to anybody. And so I think it's very difficult to answer that question with great clarity, but it's not just negative. There are some positives out there. The market is just running a little bit to catch up, but we are almost there. It's extraordinary hearing hearing your views on this. That's really great. Really welcome those. I'm going to come on to now something you've already talked about, which is the Reading Ethical Recruitment Charter. How did you get involved with that? This was a, an initiative by a, a councillor, uh, a Reading Borough councillor, a lady called Adele. 
who had been working with the charity Ethical Reading. Now, I'd met uh, one of the leadership team, uh, Gurpreet Pal Singh, uh, from Ethical Reading 12, 18 months prior at a, an event. Uh, we got chatting over a coffee. He'd agreed to speak at an event that I was holding. Um, I talked to something that they were holding. And then it, he sort of said to me, well, uh, we've got something that's recruitment focused. It's been brought to us because Adele at Reading Borough Council was hearing these horror stories of people being asked to work unpaid shifts, uh, people not getting any feedback at all when they applied to jobs, people being asked, um, you know, just just ridiculous things, uh, being made to jump through hoops to try and get jobs. And she was really looking at the hourly paid, uh, I guess, retail and hospitality sectors. And, and this is where obviously recently um, on the BBC website, a lot of publicity around this petition for the, the, the lady that was asked to work a five hour shift unpaid, those sorts of things. They brought me in because my experience in the professional services sector, you might think, well, OK, if people are being paid more, the experience of recruiting them is different. Well, sadly, not always. Now, we don't have the unpaid shifts issue because ours doesn't tend to be shift related work, but they do have other ethical challenges. And then there are ones that, that arch over both of them, uh, you know, discrimination issues, for example. And so we came together as a three to build this ethical recruitment charter for the Reading area. And I think one of the great things about that is you've got public sector, charitable sector and private business sector all represented, all bringing our, our experiences to the table. And therefore, what's been created, I think, is reflective of Reading and is suitable for every business in Reading. And what's your vision for this ethical <laughs> recruitment charter? For me, one of the big purposes, Reading has a fantastically dynamic uh, business sector, a lot of startups, particularly in the digital and technology space, a lot of independent businesses, great restaurants and bars and shops and things that we'll all know and love locally. We are, however, on a, an increasingly near doorstep to London, and you only have to in normal times, inverted commas, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but in, in post in pre-COVID times, if you stood outside a Reading train station on a Tuesday morning, you'd see how busy it is with trains every 10 minutes going into London. Now, I'm not anti-London, but I want to make Reading a more attractive place for people to work. So there's two things there. How do we attract talent, people to Reading? And then how do we get them to stay and work in Reading? Well, I think the ethical recruitment charter, if we get it taken up by enough employers in the Reading area, is a differentiator. It's a unique selling point. It tells people looking to work in Reading, I'm going to be treated fairly here. I'm going to have a certain experience here that I can't guarantee necessarily everywhere else. But there's no reason why other cities and towns couldn't take the template that we've got and speak to Ethical Reading and, and try and replicate it locally as well. And then that's, that's sort of, I guess, part of the wider vision. But for me, it's about making Reading a standout place for employment, because uh, especially given COVID-19, we're now in a different world. When we started the, the recruitment charter, we were talking about people working in Reading as people who physically came to work in Reading, whether you lived in Reading or not. However, now working in Reading, yes, is some of those people, but it's also people who live in Reading who could be working for companies anywhere. And so you might have a company in Glasgow that's hiring people remotely and has two or three people in Reading. 
well, actually, if, if your recruitment process is taking place in Glasgow, for example, all of your hirers are there and are, you know working remotely with Zoom calls and things to, to conduct the interview process, you could still engage with us on that. And it, it's about having that badge of saying, we care about the recruitment experience and we want to stand out from the crowd because signing up to the charter does does two things. It, it shows people that you take it seriously and it shows people that you're informed enough to follow a process. So it's and it's free. <laughs> you know, it's it's like, you know, if you get the opportunity to join a club where the benefits are free, professionally guided information, not just from me and the recruitment sector, but from you know HR professionals, from legal professionals. Um, you know, if you can get that kind of information for free, that you can feed into your own CSR, you know, sort of standards and your own employment processes, and you can stand out from the crowd. And you get access to you know, events, uh, great webinars that Ethical Reading are able to organise um, some fantastic speakers on all sorts of issues um, you know, that are really engaging. If you can get all of that for free, why wouldn't you do it? And that's deliberately our, our model is that that's going to scale and encourage people uh, to, to get on board and it will grow and grow and grow. And then we'll get to that point where Reading is known as somewhere that just stands out from an employment perspective nationally uh, and who knows maybe even internationally as well because again it, it comes down to you don't have to be coming to Reading to work in Reading now. And I know that that you were involved with your expertise in developing the charter or credit to you for that and I, I hear that there were there was a collaboration with other professionals as well just want to acknowledge your role here. And it seems that there's a lot of power in the collaboration between the three types of organisation, you know, the public yeah. sector, the private business, and Ethical Reading in the representing the charity sector, if you like. What are the real benefits of that? Well, I honestly don't think it would be achievable without representation across the sectors. If you took away the public sector, you're missing such a huge employer uh, that has a different experience to the private sector. If you took away Ethical Reading as the hub and which it sat, and this was a private enterprise or indeed a council-led enterprise, I think you then open yourself up to cynicism and criticism. But this is owned and run by Ethical Reading. You know, the collaboration between the council and ourselves is secondary to that, is my view. And from ourselves, I think you need the private sector involvement because again we understand something different to to the public sector and the charitable sector and you know we, we bring a different type of um thought process to it and it's it, with that with the combination of uh, like-minded people from those sectors it just becomes something far more powerful the expression you know great and the sum of the parts absolutely springs to mind uh mm. that the benefits that it has is therefore any business, whether it is an ind- whether whether it's a you know a person who has just started their own company and is thinking I'm going to need to hire someone in the next twelve months, I've never employed anyone in my life, they can get involved because all that information is there at their fingertips and it's going to enable them to make the right decisions and the right processes. Hire one, or you're a two, three, four, five thousand person business and you're trying to do you're hiring a hundred, two hundred roles a year. And you think, well, actually, 
it might be interesting to see what you know people in the public sector and people in the charitable sector or people in the private sector if you're a, a, a public sector organization think about the right ways and the wrong ways to, to go about recruitment i think everybody can gain something from this but only because everybody is involved in, in its conception and you know it's needed now more than ever since the COVID-19 pandemic. And just run us through what's happening next, because I I was at the original launch, which was the last event I went to before lockdown. Um, (laughs) So what's what's happening now with with the charter? So, I mean, that was our official launch. And obviously we had a number of companies sign up and and people engage with it. Uh, Then then the global pandemic hit uh, and funnily enough everyone thought about other things for a few months uh we got no criticism there um <laughs> it, it's continued you know it, it hasn't been dormant myself and, and the rest of the team involved have still been working very hard in the background this petition uh that is being put to government at the moment related to the, the lady that was asked to work the unpaid shifts that i think is a catalyst it's a very public catalyst for us to say look this is an issue that is affecting people up and down the country because that's obviously not a Reading related incident. But this is something we're experiencing everywhere. If you feel this is wrong and you've signed the petition and please do, you know, let's get this in front of, uh, you know, let's get the government to respond at the very least on this. Then also get involved in something locally. Then what we're doing, obviously, I'm, I'm talking to you and, and trying to promote this, but we've got a, a, a webinar at the end of November. Ethical Reading have a webinar at the end of November, which has a panel discussion uh, where all sorts of people are going to be talking about ethical recruitment in the Reading area as, as part of the, the overall webinar event. And we encourage people to come along, attend that and ask questions. If you're listening to this and you think, well, you know, this James guy, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about or, well, you know, I don't agree with this or that you know, come and attend the webinar and and throw those questions at me and and question all of us uh, and see if it's right. See if you can challenge and contribute to the charter, because that's what we want. You know, this is still in its first year, and I think it can get stronger and better through community involvement, but people have got to come forward. And, And now is absolutely the right time to be doing this. For anyone that thinks, do you know what, We've got COVID-19, we've got Brexit coming, I've got bigger issues. Well, actually, all of those issues impact your employees as well. And whether they stay, whether they leave, they impact your potential employees as well. So getting this right is then a concrete foundation on which to take everything else forward. And in a time of near total uncertainty, the one thing that is certain is what is ethical recruitment and what isn't. COVID-19 and and anything else never change those basic tenants. So getting that right now, and it is not a huge (laughs) labour, believe me, it is is actually fairly straightforward to get done, um, is something you can do now, and then you can step forward confidently with your business, knowing that you've done the right thing. Really well said, James. And I'll put a link through to where the petition is in the show notes. So do go along and have your say. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. It's been it's been great to uh, to get some of this information out there. And I, I just hope it's been useful for people. Um, and uh, if anyone wants to contact me directly, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can come and find me on there. And uh, my email address is up there. Ping me an email and I'll, I'll respond to anybody and everybody, any whatever your questions are. Marvellous. Thank you so much. Thank you, Linda. Have a good day. If you like what you've heard, do join us 
The website is ethicalreading.org.uk. Membership is free. Come to a virtual meetup or webinar. Get involved as a volunteer. Become a partner organisation. Or just help us by spreading the word to your networks. Together, we can make Reading a better place to live, work and do business. Thank you.